Welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, really a Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeyset. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests. And help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the completely ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Alan Malcolm. Alan and I have known each other for a while and he has a fascinating story about how he got to live in Japan as a New Zealander. Alan, do you want to talk us through about how you ended up moving from New Zealand to Japan and what was behind that decision? It's very nice to be here, Alan, Vicky. Thanks for having me. Yes, we have known each other for a long time and I was born in New Zealand and I grew up there. Around my high school days, I had an aspiration to come to Japan and pursue a career as a professional athlete. Many of you may not believe that anymore who know me, but the chance was there for me to come to Japan and pursue this challenge. I had an agreement with my mother who said I could follow my dreams as long as I stayed in school. I think that was very sound advice because soon after arriving in Japan, my aspirations of this uh, career as a professional kickboxer were proven to be unlikely to come into fruition. And I was here in Japan with my commitment to finish high school. And it started there, I guess, my, my passion and love for Japan, learning alongside people in my class who didn't speak English. And my Japanese wasn't great, obviously, when I first got to school. And uh, from there, it was uh, growing up here, graduating from high school here in Japan. And as you know, Japan's been a really big part of my life ever since. Well, that's great to hear that, Alan. And I didn't actually know that you are an athlete. So it's great to be in the was. <laughs> was, you know, I spent time at Nike and one thing I loved there was the whole strap line that if you have a body, you're an athlete. So we are all athletes. So you're warmly welcomed and it's really good to have you here. You can find more information about Alan and his story, his background, etc. in the downloads that are available alongside this podcast, where you can visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk for all that info. So Alan, You've got a lot of stories that you can tell from the time that you've been in Japan. What is it that has propelled you or led for you to be the leader that you are today, would you say? I think my opportunity here in Japan has meant that I've always had the privilege of working with really brilliant people, but I've often been able to see those kind of misconnects and disconnects that happen between these really talented people. Um, learning how to use other people's strengths to build a high-performing team to me comes down to trust people's motivation and being able to create that shared purpose and vision and the opportunity that I've had here in Japan has put me in a position where the complication of that kind of creation of those teams is furthered by language and cultural issues so having the experience of being in high school here, growing up in a city where not many people spoke English, I was really thrown at the deep end in terms of that cultural experience. And I've been able to see how you know, different cultures interact with each other here in, in Japan, uh, particularly with, on the Japanese side, but also with other students from other countries at the time. And I've had that experience to live and learn here. And I wouldn't say that leadership is something that I knew I was going to aspire to when I was younger. It's something that's happened through putting myself in a position where I was able to act as a bridge between other people and allowing them to really play to their strengths. And a passion kind of grew there about bringing people together, creating teams, and then 
trying to help people to get the best out of themselves. So it became a real commitment of mine. And I've had some fantastic leaders to work under, people from all over the world who have stepped in and out of Japan and other markets in the region with um, such talent and tact. And look, there are leaders and then there are those that lead very well. It's a tag that some people aspire to, but it's definitely, a, I, I guess, a title that many earn through the quality of how they interact with people. So you've talked about using people's strengths to build those teams up. But how do you take that one step further and teach what you've learned through experience? So how do you prepare others to lead across cultures effectively? We don't want to overplay the stereotype, but it's important to have a base knowledge of, for example, Aaron Meyer's cultural map. So you basically understand what's important to people in general, uh, where they are in the world, where they are in society, where they are at their age and stage, basically, in their life and career. And then as with any culture anywhere, it's about engaging one-to-one to understand what drives these people as individuals and also what hinders them, on the other hand. So you can't lead those that don't want to be led, and no one will want to be led by someone they don't trust. So how do you go about building trust? Well, obviously, that's everyone knows through communication and earning it. But when you're working across cultures, that communication is more complicated because of language issues, because of the cross-cultural and slightly different types of communication. So high context versus low context, for example, people that are, that are driven by different portions and different motivations within life. So there's a deeper engagement at an individual level that's required, but it is okay to understand a culture from I guess what some people would call the stereotypes, because there are behaviours and things that stand out that we're perhaps not familiar with. Definitely we're not familiar with growing up in somewhere like New Zealand, where where I came from. Right. So we're going to build on this a little bit more, Alan. You've talked quite a bit there about the importance of how to prepare others to lead across cultures. So how can we enable other leaders to go even further on that? You mentioned Erin Mayer. Like I say, you talked about trust, but... What's the first start? What's the starting point for leaders or young leaders to really become more accomplished, build their capabilities in what leading across cultures really means and what that means for leading others? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously you need to you need to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be challenged and you're going to be tested. So being involved with with some kind of cross-border project, whether that's uh, something involved in your career, whether it's something more personal, getting involved with a sustainable development goal project on LinkedIn or something like that is great. But I think you need to look at what you think you know. So I said previously, look, you need to have a basic understanding. You need to have a general idea and, and be culturally aware. But Sometimes those stereotypes or assumptions that you make based on a limited level exposure can lead to trouble. So while you're being sensitive and understanding of another culture, it's about knowing what you don't know is is probably how I put it. Be aware of individuals. Don't be scared by the cross-cultural component because predominantly people are driven by the same things like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you will. But it's about testing your assumptions, understanding that there will be biases that emerge no matter how adept or how experienced you are. So I've lived in Asia for 20 plus years and and I speak um, some languages of the region and I think I know a little bit about cultures and religions and people's kind of wants, needs, preferences. But I would always say hold back and try to understand whether that individual 
is actually driven by those assumptions that, that you have. And it's okay also to ask people. So my understanding is that in your culture or in your country, this is how I would approach this. You know, is that right? And if you ask people who you work with, whether they're your leaders or whether they're the team that, that works around you and with you, um, that actually is one way to build your experience firsthand, but also to start to build trust with those individuals as well. We've covered a little bit of how to develop others. But I know when I first went in to work with you on some of the stuff we did in Japan together, I made a couple of mistakes. And I did it with great intention, but it didn't work because I hadn't done my research. I hadn't really looked into it. I also know that mistakes, bad role models are one of the things that help us learn the best. What are the some of the worst mistakes either you've made or you have seen made across different cultures? Wow, that, that's a tricky one. There is one quite challenging issue that I've faced, in, particularly in some Southeast Asian countries, where we're conducting events. So when I worked at Pearson, we would congratulate hundreds of learners on achieving their UK school qualifications. And they would walk across the stage shake hands or a pat on the back or what have you. And I had very limited understanding of some of the religious or cultural kind of norms for, for Islamic nations. So, you know, putting my hand out to shake hands with people on a stage where there's hundreds of people in an auditorium and having a young lady not want to shake my hand. Fortunately, I was able to act like I hadn't put my hand out there. But it was a massive learning for me that, you know, I shouldn't presume that everybody is, is comfortable in doing something that I'd grown up with. And it's a piece of knowledge which I've shared with many other people who have been in that same position. But then again, I've had many young Muslim ladies come up and shake my hand on stage. So it's again, it's not a stereotype or an assumption. Some people are comfortable with doing some things, whether they're there or not. And it's, I think what I learned is not to put my hand out, to wait and see how people would approach me and try to respond in a way that they did. I mean, that was a really real kind of issue and challenge there for me on the stage. In Japan, we get interesting ones because people think there's things that you shouldn't do in Japan, like take your shoes off. So people, we have people taking their shoes off in all kinds of places, restaurants and things, and they were, please, please keep your shoes on. But the thing that people forget is we are not expected being foreigners or being from outside the culture to be able to do everything the same way that, that people have been brought up here can. Likewise, you know, in Western countries, we're actually bad at this because we expect people to live the way we do and don't really give them the opportunity to learn in some, in some cases. So, you know, making mistakes can actually be a really good icebreaker, having a little joke, people using chopsticks, one in each hand, you know, that, that happens. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that the secret with making mistakes is being able to bounce back and, and try again, but trying to do it the right way or a slightly different way, and, you know, embracing the mistakes. And I think that's been probably, an, as an individual, one of the greatest life-changing experiences for me was getting the confidence to make mistakes. And through using another language, in my case, Japanese, I don't speak fluently in Japanese. I mean, I speak fluently, but I, I'm not 100% perfect. And through my life, there's been mistakes that I've made. In English, I would have been nervous to stand on a stage and talk to hundreds of people because I'd be afraid of saying something wrong. But in Japanese, it didn't matter because I already kind of knew there were going to be mistakes. And, and that 
just kind of breaking the ice and allowing myself to go beyond my comfort zone has is a skill I guess now that's spread into the rest of my kind of approach to business and, and life like I'm not afraid of making mistakes because I know I've made a lot using a second language and don't even get me started on going to China and trying to explain how my hotel door was broken in broken Chinese so I think that's a great segue to a next question. I wouldn't, I'm going to call you next time, Alan, if I ever have any problems with, with doors or with plumbing <laughs> in China. Um, I'm pretty good now. Yeah, <laughs> I can take care of myself well now. Going slightly off the path, but still on this subject that has come up with trust. And again, another subject that seems to be a very common theme you're speaking of, which is this real world learning because much is written in textbooks about leadership. I think it's the second most written subject after religion. So we're real firm believers in real world learning. And you've often spoken about the experiences that have stood you in good stead have come about because you've literally had to roll up your own sleeves and learn as you go. So if we think about this concept of trust and, uh, and I'm gonna introduce here the concept of psychological safety and something in the workplace that's truly let to play out naturally is it a real world thing or is it something that people tend to know a lot about because there's a good academic reference to it or there's a McKinsey article etc so what in your experience of real world learning how have you been able to bring this concept of psychological safety and what to us is really about trust how do you bring that and into the real world and engender that with teams you work with that's a, that's a fantastic question, and it's touching on a subject that I'm really passionate about. You know, so many people say leaders have two main jobs. One is to make decisions, and the other is to, to grow people. That's pretty straightforward, and I'd agree with that. But when you look at how do you grow people, what, what do people require in order to be able to grow to their full potential and realize that potential and pursue opportunities, they, they need this safe environment. They need a place where they can bring their whole selves to work, as we say, where they can be true to themselves and people around them and are not questioned by choices they make in you know, whether it's religion, lifestyle, who they love, where they live, any, anything like that. And that is a massive role that the leader needs to play. So you, know, you, you can't talk about being inclusive, can't build in quotas and propaganda about being inclusive in an organisation. You have to actually do it. And people, you hear things like try to be more authentic. I mean, that's one of the greatest oxymorons in my mind, the way I interpret that phrase. Trying to be authentic is just never going to happen. So unless you believe in something, it's very, very difficult for people to believe you. Unless you are really committed to creating this safe environment through your actions and through the way that you interact with people and the space that you create for people, then you're never really going to get to that point. So... In my career, there's times where I've been really, really committed to creating a diverse and inclusive environment, but things have happened that I haven't called out. I think people around me have, have said things or done things that I knew at the time were not part of the culture that I wanted to be part of or create, and I didn't respond. And I called myself out on this, you know, later, looking back, there were a couple of things, and I've basically just really been firm with myself and said, as a leader, I'm going to tell people what my values are, what my expectations are, I know how I expect people to behave with each other. And one thing that is not up for debate is that 
whoever anyone is, that has no bearing on how they sit within our organization or how they're treated. Everyone is on the equal peg. And so to sell that as a message is, you know, anyone can do that. You can put it on a PowerPoint slide and you can say, this is what I believe. Now, every moment after I've introduced that to my team, myself, my leadership, my management team, and anyone who's part of that team, we commit to living that. And that's where people really start to get more comfortable and others get uncomfortable. But it allows us to let everything come to the surface. You know, there there is a whole lot of issues that's created by trying to be more focused and upfront on on bringing these you know issues of, of in- inclusion to, to the forefront. In Asia, we have diversity of culture, at least, and religion and, and language, but we have you know a much broader diversity of people in terms of the individuals and how and the lifestyles and things that, that they have. And you know, it's it's not an a ninety nine percent thing; it's a hundred percent thing. And creating that environment where people can call me out as the leader, call each other out, support each other openly. That's, you know, that's really where that, and it's, and it's not just life, but it's also in work. So a decision that someone's made in the business because they hold a certain opinion, this also is something that needs to be valued. We've, we've given people accountability and responsibility and we need to work with them. And if that, whatever decision they've made hasn't worked out, then that's leader's responsibility, team responsibility to work through with them on that so it's it's 360 degrees and it's 100 percent. and if people feel safe there's massive benefits to the business obviously you're going to get much more diversity of opinion and innovation will be driven but you also get a lot more honesty and transparency from your team and and that trust is really really evident if you can if you can be part of that environment so alan we have a theme we always ask our guests here And we ask if you would be happy to share with us and pay forward a pearl of what we call defiant wisdom. We know you're a good citizen, but where have you kind of defied, whether it be tradition or whether it be how things are thought and believed to have done? So your pearl of defiant wisdom. And in particular for for young and aspiring leaders who would like to think about their future careers. Okay. Well, that's that's an interesting question. I like the concept. I am pretty well behaved, so not defiant but maybe doing something that's a little bit different from what other people do so if you want to be a successful leader particularly across cultures the piece of advice i would give you is be prepared to eat at the same table as the people around you and i mean that literally and figuratively and you know across cultures this is more relevant aspire to be a leader not to be a boss because anyone that that wants to be a boss is never going to get the trust that they need but Eating at the same table as as the people that you're working with and never ask what it is you're about to eat. Once you've eaten it, ask what it was. I guess that's the slightly defiant piece of it. Eat it first and then tell them. And it's okay to say if you didn't like it or not. But also more figurative, theoretical way, you know, get your your hands dirty, be involved, do the same things that the people you're working with do. and that will allow you to build that trust. But definitely you get some really exciting cuisine if you're, if you're not afraid to, to get in there first. There are certain countries where I've still never had the guts to do that, quite literally. Oh. But there are some which I have done. So Asia, you know, sort of, well, I drew the line at some things in China. Chicken feet. Oh, I, 
Oh, chicken feet is one of my favorites, but I had I had some stuff I didn't like in China, but I ate it once, and then they asked me if I wanted more, and I just said, no, I didn't like it. And they yeah. said, wow, that was great. You ate it first. I had a bag of crickets with me when I was in Myanmar. They're okay. Um, I don't mind the old yeah. crickets. So absolutely up for eating most things. But yeah, I, there are there are <laughs> lines. But thanks for insight. I really there are some really fab things that you've shared with us, and the passion that you've got around psychological safety really does align with what we we're doing as well. So thank you for your insights. It's really useful. Oh, great! It was a pleasure to be able to share it with you. And I know you know like-minded people on the other side of the world. It's great to to be able to talk with you. There was some fantastic things that stood out for me. And I think going back to it really shows through your athletic background. And I think there was definitely some threads there that came out. I think when you were talking about sort of right back at the start, when we were talking about what sort of has led you to be the leader that you are today, I love that reference to looking for, I think you said, misconnections and disconnects and the complications and cultures that just make you have to try harder to enable people to play to their strengths. And I think sometimes there was a lot that I was hearing that is actually just beautifully simplistic and just picking apart the often overcomplicated subject that leadership is. It's essentially, if you go back to one of the other amazing points you made, that there's two main jobs of a leader, to make decisions and grow people. And there's just, again, something incredibly smart, but super simplistic about that. I love the way that you kind of gave that answer in relation to a subject that's often made really complicated, and that's psychological safety. And I think I've certainly come across times when leaders like to talk about it because it's one of those quite hyped subjects that is written about at very high level. With the way you spoke about it and about creating safe environments, and it's an all-in thing, you've got to be 100% some really great stuff in there Anna, and I think we could probably carry on talking for quite some time about this subject wonderful yeah more than I'll be more than happy to continue talking and I, you know again this is about the cross-cultural component and the cross languages the, you can't assume that everyone's going to understand you so the need for simplification in, in how you're articulating things there's no time in a cross-cultural multilingual environment to show how smart you are in the English language Luckily, it's very difficult for me to do that anyway. So it is about the slowest wolf in the pack um, being able to keep up with the team. So you need to be able to present a message that everyone's going to understand and being able to commit to and, and move forward. So uh, I'm really pleased that that you're able to see that coming through in, in what I was trying to share today. So thanks. Absolutely. Well, having lived in the Netherlands now almost 16 years, you know, I'm hoping my pragmatism and directness is almost on a par with with the Dutch culture. So if you've been as inspired as we have been today and our conversations, discussions and what we've been exploring, please check back in as we're going to be running these sessions regularly and we cover every aspect of the kind of skills leaders need to continuously develop and evolve to thrive. And do look at our website defyexpectations.co.uk because it's packed with tips and inspiration especially helping you to get to that 100% and not that 99%. Because, Alan, as you said, leaders think it's okay to go that 99% a lot of the time, and it's really not. You've got to be 100%. But we look forward to being with you on our next chat and learning from more leaders like Alan across the globe. (laughs) 